0: Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Boulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's episode, Richard and I reflect on the parable of the wedding feast in the Gospel of Matthew. When the host's invitations are rejected by his would-be guests, some of whom went so far as to mistreat and then murder his servants, it seems obvious why some are chosen and others are cast out. You'd think the host would be happy to call those who come to the feast his friends. You might also imagine that those who accepted the invitation are better off than those who acted out of selfishness and spite. Unfortunately for all of us, a friend in Matthew is not a friend, The good and the bad are both on the guest list, and the dinner jacket you need is not in your closet. You're listening to The Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Boulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 35 of The Bible as Literature podcast. Each time that number climbs... I look behind me and I look ahead and I give thanks to God that we keep going forward day by day.
1: Thank God. You know, we put a lot of effort into this episode, thinking long and hard and many discussions talking about the scene of the feast and the wedding garment. You and I have been going around and around, really trying to wrap our head around this because there are a couple troubling things about this that many people have noticed. And it, you know, comes to the head when the king ties up the guy and throws him out into outer darkness. We don't like to think of our host wrapping us up and throwing us out to outer darkness. That's not usually why we go to a dinner party.
0: No one likes to think about that. So for our listeners, we're talking about the Gospel of Matthew, the first 14 verses in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, where we are presented with one of Matthew's many beautiful parables of the kingdom. In this case, he presents a context where he compares the kingdom of heaven to a king who arranged a marriage feast, and sent servants out to call those who were invited to the wedding. And those whom he invited were not willing to come. And we have these classic examples. Tell those who are invited, i prepared a dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. Everything is ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and each went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. In other words, you have people who have this invitation to God's feast, to his household, to his celebratory gathering and each of them give excuses. This is not the first time or the last time this theme comes up. Not only
1: give excuses, but the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So talk about killing the messenger. These are messengers with an invitation to a feast and they kill them. This isn't even bad news. These are really bad people out there who are not coming to the feast.
0: So you're thinking at this point, wow, those guys stink. They're selfish, self-involved, they're proud and, of course, ultimately violent and murderous. So when the king hears about it, he gets upset, which is completely rational, and everyone hearing this text would be like, well, there's a good king who stands up for what's right. He shouldn't let those people walk all over him. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. That's what kings do. And, of course, someone who's an ethicist would struggle with the protagonist in this parable committing such horrors, but if the king happens to be god the father what he's doing is not horrible at all it's his will and since he's the maker of the heavens and the earth we have to assume that it's a blessing that he decided to do what he did again just reiterating some of the difficult themes we've discussed in the past Mm -hmm. when dealing with the prophetic tradition so then he said to his servants the wedding is ready but those who were invited were not worthy
1: yeah that's already interesting it didn't say the ones who were invited decided not to come they weren't worthy of the invitation meaning that they showed lack of respect, lack of honor, by not only rejecting the invitation, but they treated the messengers of this honor horribly.
0: So he declared them not worthy. He then, again, as is typical of these parables, God looks to the original invitees and decides that they're out. And so then he goes out to the whole world. He opens the gospel up to the whole world and says, Okay, since these are out, I'll open it up to everybody else and give them a chance. In fact, again, in line with Paul's gospel, the ones whom he's inviting from the thoroughfares would not have the opportunity were it not for the stumblings of the ones that he destroyed. So he goes and he opens up the gospel to the whole world. The bad and the good. The bad and the good. That is actually a really important point. Because you want to say... The others were out because they were bad but now he's turning around and saying invite everyone again those whom you would consider bad or good invite them mm-hmm. so the others as you were saying are not worthy because the king decided they were not worthy but they are rejecting something that the king is offering so they're out right i personally am very comfortable if the parable could stop here
1: at verse 10 that there were a bunch of people They were not worthy because they rejected it, they laughed at it, they treated the servants cruelly and killed them. And then he said, okay, destroy them. I'm gonna go find some people who wanna come, let them come. The hall is filled with guests. I like happy endings, Father. I like it if it were just to stop there and everyone had a nice meal together and everyone lived happily ever after. But what's
0: interesting here though, I think yours is a normative human response to the story. It's a normal expectation, but of course, as we know scripture, is neither normal nor human. So I get the sense in verse 10, with the advantage of knowing how scripture works and knowing what follows and being able to anticipate it, I get the sense that there's a kind of cycle at work here. You are invited, the invitation can be rescinded. Worse than that, if you don't accept the invitation, you will face the consequences for that and I can invite other people. I think the mention of good and bad really undermines any attempt we make in our mind to comfortably say, oh yes, well they did the wrong thing, so they're out. It's more nuanced than that. But what I'm saying about this cyclical pattern, I think the ones whom he's now invited in could just as easily be taken out. This is the point that to me is really important. You know, there's another thing that I think is important. Since we know that in the end he
1: goes out and calls the people from the highways and byways, we're not really concerned about the original invitations. No one says, hey, wait a second, How did those original people get invited? How come the king didn't go to the highways and the byways first? Why did he go and decide on these particular people? It seems kind of arbitrary actually that he would just go and just choose people. Not only did he just go and choose people, he evidently had very bad taste because everyone that he invited rejected him.
0: It almost feels to me like God is saying, look, are you on the bus? Are you off the bus? Because the bus keeps moving and I just want people on the bus. So, hey, you're invited. That's my point. I think you're drawing out my point that the original invitation is as arbitrary as subsequent invitations. And this is as much a warning to the Gentile churches as it is originally to, as Paul would say, the Jew first. Mm -hmm. If God can arbitrarily invite the children of Abraham and then use their sin as an opportunity to arbitrarily invite Gentiles and say, okay, now you can be children of Abraham. That means he can turn to the Gentiles and say arbitrarily, okay, I've decided that because of your shortcomings, your shortcomings will be used to create opportunities for others. And It goes on and on and on. Right, it opens the
1: opportunity for others.
0: Once you're in, you are on the hot seat under judgment, and you can be taken
1: out. I'm just picturing people in the highways and the byways. How do you refuse an invitation from a king who just burned down the city of the people who rejected his invitation.
0: You're all under the control of this powerful king. Right. And like you said, you want to feel comfortable in verse 10. Okay, I'm in. I finally, to borrow from your last podcast comment, I finally have checked off the right boxes. When in fact in the story you've checked off nothing, it's just that this king has said bring them in. All you did was show up. That's all you've done. So now you're all here. And the king says, ah, 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 this one doesn't have a wedding garment. Ah, uh, verse 11, that spoils my happy ending. The complicated verse. Now, a lot of scholars will talk about the wedding garment as being traditionally part of a feast that is provided by the head of the feast. We've seen other commentaries that tend to theologize it, and they talk about the wedding garment as a garment of purity. I mean, there's all this kind of allegorical suggestions about what the garment means. For my part, I prefer the historical critical reading that the head of the feast provides the garment, but I don't even think you need to actually insist on that context to really experience the uncertainty of one's place at the feast, which I think is the point. It's clear that God offers the invitation, which is why the historical critical context seems so applicable. Right. The point is God can just decide like that, you're not worthy, you're out. And this undermines the ways that people try to distort the gospel of grace. They say, since it's freely given, then I'm off the hook. I know I'm saved. But that's not how scripture works. Because no one, not even Paul, is acquitted before the time. Right. The thing about the garment is...
1: Oftentimes people are trying to figure out the guy without the garment, is it his fault or is it the king's fault? What is it exactly? And oftentimes what people are trying to do is they're trying to put it into the hands of the guy who didn't have the garment. They say, oh, well, it was provided to him by the head of the feast. If the head of the feast provided him one and he rejected it, then he rejected the very honor that the king was trying to bestow upon him, much like the people who were issued the original invitation. Another interpretation is that it's, like you say, a more allegorical reading, which is a, a sort of preparation. You need some kind of preparation. You need some baptism or something to show that you're prepared for this feast. That's another thing that But that to say.
0: obviously undermines
1: the mashal. The text itself, all it says, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Didn't say why. Didn't say he rejected. Didn't say he accepted. Didn't say prepared. Didn't say unprepared. Doesn't have it. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So he scared the guy. This is the king who destroys cities who people who reject his invitation. And all we know is that the king decided the criteria upon which the king has to decide are not
0: here. Well, and what's interesting, he's speechless, which means the only thing that God gives you, practically speaking, in Scripture is Scripture. So if you're on the spot... And God is not giving you the words to say as he gives to the martyrs when they face their judgment. That means that you haven't accepted the very thing God is offering. It's very bad in Scripture when you can't speak. It doesn't mean you don't have an opinion because your opinion is irrelevant in Scripture. It means you haven't been studying Torah. So to me, the point is that the only thing you have standing before the Lord is what the Lord offers you which means all the power is in the hand of the Lord, and no one is on solid turf. No one. And so he says, you're out. And it seems, again, unfair in human terms, because as you pointed out in our previous discussion that we didn't capture here, Richard, there's a kind of judgment against those who were outwardly disrespectful towards the king. They were torn asunder in battle, but they did not receive the punishment that this one received which is worse. So it's very unsettling. You'd rather be destroyed in battle than to be cast outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a much worse judgment pronounced on him than battle because he's kept alive to suffer. The other interesting thing, just I want to point out about this passage is that friend in Matthew is pejorative. Jesus refers to Judas as friend in the garden. So, you know, those who are coming to the party think, okay, we're the friends of God, we're in. And again, in the language of Matthew, you sure that you want to count on your friendly connection to God? Because God isn't interested in friends. He's interested in the doing of his commandments on his terms.
1: Right. When your boss comes to you and says, my friend, like
0: that, you may
1: need to be a little bit nervous when he calls you his friend.
0: Or when your teacher says, young man. (laughs) It's it's not It's all over. Exactly. So then there's this last verse that I know is equally troubling, frankly, for many are called, but few are chosen. What's going on there? What it's saying is that you're
1: never on sure ground. If you receive the invitation from the very beginning, you're not on solid ground. If you go in with everybody else and all the mob, you're still not on solid ground because you can always be thrown out. So whether you get chosen arbitrarily, and then reject it or you get chosen because everyone else is chosen and then the king of the feast says you're not worthy and here we don't have criteria exactly why you're not worthy, then that's it for you and you're out. The first invitation does not guarantee anything nor does the second invitation guarantee anything. So if you say they rejected it but we accepted it, there is no we accepted it because any one of us can be thrown out at the arbitrary decision
0: of the king. The one thing that you can be certain of is the king's authority and his permanence. And also, presumably, if you are gathered in a community hearing this reading and struggling to submit to it, that you've been given the opportunity, you've been given the invitation to the marriage feast. So I think you hear this reading, you recognize on the one hand how fortunate you are to hear the reading, to have this opportunity, to hear this invitation to become a citizen of this kingdom to participate in this marriage feast and understanding what good fortune you have to be in that position and understanding how high the stakes are and how risky and tenuous your position is, you then are going to act with gratitude for the opportunity and strive to walk according to the precepts of the invitation, knowing that in the end, everything is in the hand of the Lord. And isn't that how life functions in the end? I mean, there are no guarantees in life. Right. I think people want guarantees from the scriptural tradition. But I think once you secure your guarantees, it ceases to be a wisdom tradition and becomes a a contractual arrangement with God that reflects the greed, the selfishness, and the self-interest of our culture today of our individualistic culture and it doesn't work that way in the bible
1: yeah and i think that it's important to say many are called but few are chosen i think it's interesting that the last bit there is in the passive voice it doesn't state who is doing the choosing but it's not us that's doing the choosing we know that we don't choose who are in the kingdom and who stays in the kingdom that's not our choice so i think any idea that you prepare yourself to be worthy of the feast that's out
0: it's a misreading that can't be the case it's clearly a misreading the
1: king functions according to his will he throws out who he wants to throw out that's his decision and by the same token he sends out the original invitation to the ones to whom he decides to send out the original invitation ultimately he is the one who chooses the ones who come in I like the happy ending that we could have had at the end of verse 10, but that's not how scripture works. It gives us a very difficult ending, but in fact, this is the true reality of our lives. Nobody lives happily ever after because there's no forever, because eventually we're going to come to our death and it's not going to be pretty.
0: Correct.
1: And there is no happy ending ultimately, except for those who decide that what they live is according to grace and what they live and what they have as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, is what has been given to them. All you have is what's been given. And you're
0: not acquitted until the judgment. You're not
1: acquitted until the judgment, and maybe the king decided not to give him a robe. I don't know. We don't. The story doesn't tell how everyone else got their robe, but he didn't get one. It really doesn't
0: matter. It doesn't matter. Asking how everyone else got their robe is a bit like saying, how come I didn't win the lottery? Or, you know, or how come my loved one got sick? How come this person did Wait, wait, he didn't get a robe. I, you know, who knows? Life's not fair. Suck it up. This is what happened. I think that's sort of the attitude. One thing is certain, more so than ever, after reading this parable, uh-huh. I am convinced that the gospel could not have been written in Minnesota <laughs> because everyone would have had a coat. <laughs>
1: everyone to make sure that everyone is equal. <laughs> and uh, although the true thing is that he would have said friend even if you were in Minnesota.
0: (laughs) He would have said friends. (laughs) Whether he
1: liked you or not.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Well, listen, thanks very much for your time. This was a good discussion, and look forward to next week's podcast. All right, thank you very much, Father. Bye. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.